Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Peter took it into his own hands to solve this problem, and it was never his to solve. It was never his to solve. You and I would be wise to trust Jesus to solve our problems. That doesn't mean you're passive within the story. That doesn't mean that there are things that you shouldn't be doing. We watch and wait. We watch and wait. And when the Lord has called you to do something or to take action, then you, through obedience, you say, okay, yes. And then you do what he tells you to do. Today, Pastor James says that you would be wise to trust Jesus to solve your problems. If you're like most people, then you probably try to fix your own problems in your own way. So how is that working out? Jesus is there with you as you work through all of life's challenges, and He knows how to solve your problems. Trust Him to give you clues and directions on what to do. In time, you'll get better at listening to His call and even realize that your problems were never really yours to solve. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. the best that's ever happened to you. These other fools are going to leave you, but I will die with you. And he takes out the sword and he takes a shot at Malchus is his name, the, the servant. We know that from John's account. And he cuts off his ear. And here's where it is like, okay, was he going for the head? Okay. Was he trying to chop off his head or did he actually know what he was doing by chopping off the ear? Because if he chops off this guy's ear, because we just went through the book of Leviticus, and if you're serving in the temple and you're missing an ear, then you can't serve in the temple. So did he know what he was doing? And if he did, my goodness, you cut off some dude's ear with a sword? That's a pretty good shot. Like, that's, that's crazy. How, now, if you're trying to cut their head off and you get their ear, I'm still kind of impressed with that. Like, how did you, how'd you do that? So I don't know his reasoning. I don't know if he was meaning to maim him or if he was trying to kill him, I don't know. But I do know that the other gospel accounts, Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, put that sword away. Now is not the time. Now is not the time for this, Peter. Don't you think I could call to my father and he could solve this problem for me? So those are other gospel accounts. But what we have is Mark's here and Mark is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Peter and he leaves them nameless. I think Peter would have probably been like, put my name in it, right? But for whatever reason, he's left unnamed. And the best conclusion is that, yes, it probably was Peter. John even says so it was Peter. And why he took this into his hands, I don't know. But I know what that's like when you're like walking with the Lord and you try to take things in your own hands and then you make a mess of it. It always happens. It always happens. I see it time and time again in my life. I know the Lord's called me to do this thing. And then I get impatient with him and frustrated with him because he doesn't move as quickly as I think he should. And then I start stepping in as a problem solver and start trying to solve problems. And what I end up doing is causing more messes. And the Lord's like, put the sword away, James. Put the sword away. 
What I appreciate about some of the other gospel accounts within the story, just so you understand, the dude's ear does get chopped off, and Jesus stoops down, picks up his ear, and sticks it back on his head. Like, I'm sorry, but if I'm in the crowd arresting this guy, and I just watched him pick up an ear, which is gross, right? You're like, ah, and then he sticks it on his head as if nothing had ever happened. Then I'm having second doubt. I'm having doubts about like, well, should I be arresting this guy? Because clearly I've never seen anybody do that before. Maybe there's more to this guy than what they're telling us. Maybe he's not a criminal. Because who can do that? The great physician can do that. The guy who restores eyes, restores sight, can give speech back to those who, who don't have it, to to the mute, and he can open up ears to those who are deaf, and he can cause feet that have been lame since birth to be strengthened so that that person can walk. That's who you're dealing with. And he can pick up your mess, my mess, and clean it up for the sake of the other person. For the sake of the other person. Peter learned a good lesson. Malchus learned a really good lesson. And he's like, holy cow, like, why am I here? Right, like, why? I know I, if it was me, I'd be like, I'm not with these guys. Um, I've, I came to check you out. Like, I, I'm here for an application. Uh, you need any other followers? For whatever reason, I don't know what happens to Malchus. I have no idea what happens to that guy. Maybe one day we'll see him in heaven. I don't know. If he is, you're like, you dude lost your ear? And he's like, let me tell you all about it. Let me tell you my testimony. But Peter took it into his own hands to solve this problem, and it was never his to solve. It was never his to solve. You and I would be wise to trust Jesus to solve our problems. That doesn't mean you're passive within the story. That doesn't mean that there are things that you shouldn't be doing. We watch and wait. We watch and wait. And when the Lord has called you to do something or to take action, then you, through obedience, you say, okay, yes. And then you do what he tells you to do. But ultimately, we lay all things at his feet and we say, I trust you in this scenario because I have to trust you in this scenario because if I don't trust you in this this scenario, then I'm just leaving ears all over the place. Trust him. And I love Jesus' response to these guys. Verse 48, he answers and says to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? Am I a violent criminal? Am I a violent criminal? Am I a threat to you? Am I a threat to you? Why'd you bring the army? Why'd you bring the army? And then he even goes further into elaborating. He's like, I was daily with you in the temple. You saw me daily in the temple. You heard what I was speaking. This is not like a secret meeting. We're not like some kind of secret cult and doing everything under the shadows and everything. He's like, I spoke openly in your presence. And you did not seize me. Number one, if they wanted to, they couldn't. Because again, and that's ultimately what Jesus is going to say at the end of this, this is what God has predetermined to happen so that scriptures can be fulfilled. But Jesus, I believe Jesus is planting seeds into some of these soldiers' hearts and minds. He's like, just think about what you're doing right now. You came out here in the garden expecting to arrest somebody who is a dangerous criminal. But you know that I'm not a dangerous criminal. You know that. You, you've heard me speak. 
You've heard me teach. You know that I'm not the bad guy. And maybe causing them to question even their own motives of like, again, if I put myself in the story and I'm one of these guys, these, you know, with either a club or a sword, I would be thinking like, why are we all coming after this one guy? And yeah, I've heard some of his teachings. I've heard about the stories of him, how he's multiplied fish and loaves to feed thousands upon thousands of people and how he, he just recently raised that guy, Lazarus, from the grave and, and how he's, he restored this lady who had a, a bleeding issue for 12 years and he brought this 12-year-old girl who had, was thought to be dead that he brought her back to life. And, and the story upon story upon story, yeah, he doesn't seem like a threat to me. And so I know Jesus is, he's throwing this out there to let them know like, The scriptures will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled. You have no control over that at all. What God says is going to happen is going to happen, right? But I think this is also a teachable moment for these guys who showed up where he's like, just think about what you're doing. Think about why you're here. Think about why you're here. And it's always a good thing. That's always good advice for all of us in any kind of scenario where we're at within life is, okay, why am I here? What am I doing? For us, as on this side of it, as Christ followers, which is what I hope and I pray all of us are, is this for his glory? Is this about him or is this about me? Right? In the garden at this time, facing his enemies with boldness and courage, Jesus says, you guys, you saw me in the temple. You heard what I taught. Now you want to show up and treat me like a criminal. Okay. And he says, I was, you know, daily in the temple teaching. You did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And we have uh, references from, from the Old Testament that talk about how he was going to be captured and, and led astray and all the good stuff. I, right now, that, that verse went right out of my brain, but another one popped into my head that um, I did want to read to you guys from Proverbs 27.6. This is, to go back to Judas, this is bad teaching, but um, in the sense of structure-wise, my bad. Um, but to supplant the seed in your head, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So keeping that in mind with, uh, with our buddy Judas there. But all this was talked about beforehand. Zechariah chapter 13, I believe, just how Jesus was going to be captured, how he was going to be taken a hold of, and then everything that he was going to be experiencing, really not just from here on out, but specifically from here on out. Everybody knew these things. They were made available to these people. It's just hard to see it when you're blind. So he declares that scriptures must be fulfilled, and then an immediate fulfillment happens of something that he had just spoken hours before. Verse 50, it says, They all forsook him and fled, they being his disciples, the very ones that he had said, You will all abandon me. When it really gets heavy, And when the pressure is on, you are all going to abandon me. You'll bail on me. You'll bail on me. And what he said to them happened. Because as soon as he was grabbed hold of, they fled. They fled. And maybe the realization of like, well, he said this was going to happen. And the thought of like, maybe they're coming after them physically. And so they just all bail. But they understand, like, I don't think this is going to go down like we thought it was going to go down. Because maybe even up to this point, some of his disciples were still holding on to, like, well, maybe he'll still overthrow them. 
But now it's looking bad because there, there's guys here with billy clubs and swords, and it's really looking bad. Like, I don't think this is going the direction I thought it was going to go. And then it didn't go how they thought it was going to go, and they bailed on Jesus. And he told them that was going to happen. He told them that was going to happen. I want to read to you guys from this devotion that our, the church we came out of in Amarillo uh, blessed us with the last time I was up there teaching. And um, this is New Mercy, New Morning Mercies by uh, Trip. This is for today. This is today's reading, which, by the way, today is September 11th. And uh, man, what a day in our history, right? I mean, just please thinking of first responders, praying for those guys and all that they do, the thousands who lost their lives 21 years ago. Gosh, that's still burning. I know if you were around then, that's still, I mean, that's cemented on your heart. Like, how, how could it not be? But be constantly be thinking about those families who today is the day of like, you know, remembrance of like, this is the day I lost my, I lost my husband this day. I lost my wife this day. I lost my kids this day. You know, whether they were working in those towers or they were first responders, let's make sure that we're, we're lifting up those guys as well. Um, but this is from the devotion today. Maybe today you want the Neiman Marcus Jesus. I'm going to change out Neiman Marcus because I don't know what that is other than like a store, I think. And I'm going to change that to Amazon Jesus because that resonates with our hearts and souls. Who will deliver all your golden dreams. He will be nothing less than your sovereign savior king. This is what he writes. Life is all about whom and where you look for satisfaction of hearts. The shape and direction of your life are determined by what you tell yourself will make you content. Everyone in some way says, if I only had this, I would be content and able to stop looking for the next thing. What sits on the other side of your, if only. We are all dreamers. We all chase a vision of what we would like life to be. We all wish we were sovereign over our own lives so our dreams would come true. We all fantasize and imagine. Now this ability is not evil in and of itself, but combine it with the selfishness of sin, and it will surely get you and me into trouble. Here's what happens. It's not just that you have a dream, but that your heart gets captured by your dream. It becomes your definition of life. You no longer hold your dream with open hands. What once was a desire has morphed into a demand. And it won't be long before you view that demand as a need. This thing that you once wish that you had becomes your non-negotiable. The thing that you are unwilling to live without. Soon you are unhappy. Not because life has been hard or God has been unfaithful, but because this thing that is effectively and functionally ruling your heart lies beyond your grasp. You are despondent and discouraged. You envy people who seem to have captured their dreams. You wonder why you've been singled out. You wonder why God has forgotten you. Dream, yes. But when your dream becomes a ruling thing, it wrecks havoc on your spiritual life. Pay attention also to what happens to your relationship with God as your dreams gobble up more of the turf of your heart. God is no longer the thing that motivates you and gives you courage and hope. God is no longer your source for sturdy joy. The glory of God is no longer the thing that you're living for. Awe of God is no longer the reason you do everything you do. Sadly, God has been reduced to a delivery system. 
your Savior has become Amazon Jesus. If he delivers, you'll worship and serve him. But if he fails to deliver, you will question his goodness and love, and you'll have little motivation to offer your life to him. I think there are thousands of Christians in this sad position. Perhaps this is what the Bible is picturing when it talks about those who have abandoned the love that you had at the first from Revelation 2.4. However, there is grace for this struggle, grace that battles for your heart, grace that is more powerful than the draw of any dream. Own the dangerous dreams of your fickle heart and run to the grace that is yours in Jesus. And I wanted to read that. I, I cheated. I read that devotion yesterday. It seems like it encapsulated kind of what's happening with the disciples. The dream died. The dream died. He was captured. He was led away. Amazon Jesus didn't deliver for these guys on that night. Amazon Jesus didn't deliver for Judas, and he had no problem selling him out because the dream died. And the dream became the big thing and gobbled up every bit of his heart where God alone deserved to be. For his disciples, just like with that little devotion at the end, there is grace. There is grace. And yeah, they fled. Yeah, they forsook him. But he even told them, I'll meet you in a few days. I'll meet you in a few days in Galilee. You're going to bail on me, but I'll see you in a couple of days. And that speaks courage to my heart no matter what kind of week I'm having. Because I have bailed on Jesus. I have turned my back on him. I have run in opposite directions of where he's been leading me. And that still small voice whispers ever so graciously within my ear, I'll see you in a few days. I'll see you in a few days. And the last little bit of this story is, it's not really essential in one sense, but I love Mark's humility in including this. It says, now a certain young man, we really believe that this is Mark. Now, I can't be dogmatic about that, but it's only in this account. He's not one of the twelve. Mark is not one of the 12. Just so you understand that, I think, I think you would know that, but you may not know that. But a young man followed him. So maybe hearing the commotion of what was going on, possibly he, because number one, like no respectable Jewish man would be dressed like this, first and foremost. Like you're not coming out with just like a linen covering you up, right? There's a, a, a tremendous amount of modesty that is applied to their daily lives. It says, having, who followed him, having a linen cloth thrown, that's key, that's a key term within this gospel, thrown around his naked body. So he wasn't prepared to go outside, but maybe he had heard something, a commotion was like, I know those guys. I'm going to see what's going on. He's a young man. We don't, I don't know exactly know his age at this point in time, but he just wrapped himself up with what he had available and he goes out. It's the middle of the night. He's probably not too worried about anybody seeing him, but he wants to, he's curious He's curious. It says the young men laid hold of him, assuming he's one of these guys, right? So there was more than just the, I'm going to say the 11 who were with Jesus. There were other followers with him. Now, specifically within the story, I don't, I don't know how many of those were with him in that story, but the soldiers who came with him or the, the guards who came with him assumed he's guilty by association. They're like, well, he's got to be one of them. So they're trying to grab hold of Mark, 
And, you know, this guy's pretty squirrely, I bet. And so he's able to, like, get away from them. But kind of, well, kind of like a Joseph story, but kind of not. Um, Joseph was fleeing because he's like, I ain't going to be around you, um, that Potiphar's wife. Like, I don't think so. Uh, he runs out naked. But Mark is like, he takes off and they, he leaves him holding his linen cloth. And so he is running stark naked through the Garden of Gethsemane, probably back to his house. Why in the world would you include that story? He didn't have to. You and I don't need to know that. But what I appreciate about that, and that's why I really think it's Mark, is because when you look at his story, this is our first introduction to him. And it's just one of humility. He's like, yeah, it's kind of being nosy. Kind of being nosy and got myself in trouble. And then I was just embarrassed. And then when we see him pop up again later, it's on missionary journeys with Paul and Barnabas, and then he becomes, not to any fault of his own, well, kind of, he's just, he can't, he's not cut out for missions. And it's him that causes, not him specifically, but his, you know, involvement is what causes this split. He's the Yoko of the Beatles, right? He's like, you're the one who broke up the band, man. Like, that's the other thing we see about him. But then later we see Paul saying, send me John Mark. Why? Because he's beneficial to me. So I love, I love, I mean, if, if people think like, well, this book is so flawed and all this good stuff. Look, the, the guys that the Lord used even to record these stories, Mark, include these embarrassing stories about themselves so that we would understand this is legit. This is legit. Because why in the world would he include that? How did he make himself seem like like, what are you doing? If it was about perfect men, you know, and all this stuff, then this story wouldn't be in here. But if it's about people that we know how to identify with, then these stories are all over the pages. And so I appreciate that about Mark including this little story within there. And I'm sure there's a lot there that we can identify and we can pull away from application-wise and all that good stuff. But I appreciate that. But what I appreciate looking at that story is, man, my Savior went through so much for me. And even in his darkest time, his closest followers bailed on him. But he communicated to them, I'll see you in a few days. I'll see you in a few days. Hopefully that's an encouragement for you. I don't know where, what you're going through today. I, I don't know, maybe, you're, maybe your bad week of bee stings and dog bites is continuing on. And I apologize for that. But my encouragement to you is only what I could tell you that I, I try to do myself. And that's just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. I don't know when it will get better, but I know the story gets better. I'm not going to tell you it gets easier. But I do know if we keep our eyes fixed on him, come whatever may, the story can get better. It can get better. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Whatever you got going on, you know, in, even if that's disappointment in Jesus, because maybe Amazon Jesus didn't deliver for you, and you're just bitter, and you're just upset, and you're mad at him. Well, it's time to own that. And you need to surrender that over to him and say, you know what, Lord? I don't want to live a life of Christianity that's about me. I want to live a life of surrender that's about you. Hope 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.